say that this morning you need God. I'm going to try my best not to cry this morning, but I can't promise anything. Uh, Pastor Kyle's got big shoes for me to fill. I'm just going to try to be me. Is that okay with y'all? Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. I'm excited to get to bring this word to you this morning um, as you're turning this. I know we've already prayed once. Can we pray one more time and ask God to be with us as we divide His word? Can we pray? Let's pray. God, we need you now. We need you to be here with us to guide us as we read through the word that you inspired to be written. God, we pray that you would allow our hearts to be open, our ears to be open, that you would pierce into our lives with your word, that we would be changed by hearing it and by applying it to the life that we live. God, we pray that you would remove distractions, that you would hide me behind the cross, that your words would be my words, and that we would hear directly from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have been on a journey through the book of 1 Corinthians talking about the Christ-centered church. I hope you've been enjoying it. I have. It's fun to be reminded of the things that we are to uh, focus on, to the things that we need to correct in our daily lives, and as well as a family of believers. We want to be a Christ-centered church. We want to be a Christ-centered church because we know, as Paul said, the power of God for salvation is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that be our foundation. And so today, in chapter 4, I want to focus on Christ-centered people. Y'all know Paul. Paul's not easy on his people. Paul is very uh, direct, we'll say. Sometimes we would even say blunt towards his people. And in some ways, he is in chapter 4. So just remember, before you throw something at me, these are not my words I'm reading. Alright? Here Paul opens up and says in verse 1. Batteries. I'm going to holler until they get me a microphone. Is that okay with y'all? Right, Chapter 4, verse 1. A person should think of us in this way. As servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't judge myself. For I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then praise will come to the one, to each one from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself. I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn the meaning of nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will become arrogant favoring one person or another. How's this, y'all? Is that better? Alright, y'all still good? If you're good, say I'm good. If you're not, say I ain't good. Alright, good deal. Alright, here we go. We just roll with things around here. Let's get it. Verse 6 again. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn 
from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you would be arrogant, favoring one person over another. For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? You are already full. You're already rich. You've begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that we can also reign with you. For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place. Like men condemned to die, we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ, but you're wise. We are weak, but you're strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. And up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor working with our own hands. And when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. Now, I'm not writing this to you to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I've sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. But now some are arrogant as though I was not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not just the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So what do you want? Should I come with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Remember, those are not my words. Those are Paul's words, okay? Paul rebukes the church because they've become puffed up. They've become prideful in certain ways. And I want, to be ta- I want to talk to you in comparison. The Corinthian church versus the Christ-centered people. If you'll notice in the first five verses, the overarching theme of Paul is to be found faithful. Found faithful. In verse 2, in this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. And what does it mean to be found faithful? Faithful Faithful means to be believing and trustworthy. Believing and trustworthy. And who is he talking about being found faithful? He specifically is mentioning leaders in the church, such as him and Apollos. If you'll remember in the chapters earlier, there was a dispute among the people, and they had divided themselves into factions over who would be considered Apollos people, who would be followers of Paul and who would just claim only Christ. They had made judgments against leaders based upon personal preference instead of doctrine. This is what the problem is that Paul is is addressing in chapters 1 through 4 so far. That they make judgments, prideful judgments against leaders based on anything but Doctrine, And so Paul says, I've applied such things to me in Apollos so that you would learn the meaning of nothing beyond what is written so that you would not be arrogant 
and and favor one person over another. If that's the case, if that's the purpose, Paul says, we've applied these things to myself. In other words, I'm a humble servant and manager. The Christ-centered people, the Christ-centered church is led by servants and managers. These words, translated into our language, the word servant would be under rower. Anybody seen like older movies where they're in ships and you've got the men who sit on the bottom level and they row, right? When the wind's not blowing, you got slaves that row. These are called under rowers. They row and they're under deck, right? They're at the bottom level, all right? This is the lowest form of a servant on a ship would be the under rower. Here, Paul, one of the greatest leaders of the, the church in the New Testament, calls himself a lowly servant, that we are low. Now what does this imply? Well, he is not coming in his own authority because he's just a low servant. He's coming under the authority of someone greater than he. He has found faithful because he has a perspective of the Savior that is biblical. You follow me so far? He believes himself to be a wretch just like anyone else. Not to be celebrated, not to be lifted up higher than he ought, but just a slave of Christ. And then he says he is to be that leaders are to be a steward. You got manager, servant, servant being under rower, manager, steward, would be one, a slave of a household who is charged with teaching the children morals. Teaching the children what they are to learn to do everyday life. So here's what Paul says. I am a lowly servant, the least of these. I'm just an underrower coming from a perspective that I am low. But I've been charged to teach you what God wants you to know as the family of God. You follow me so far? That's faithful. Okay. So when we talk about a Christ-centered church, a Christ-centered church, People are led by low servants charged with teaching God's instruction. We on the same page? If I lost you, say I'm lost. If you're with me, say I'm with you. Alright, I'm a holler back preacher. Y'all need to talk to me, alright, to make sure I know you're I'm not asleep. I charged our, our students. Where's Boo Boo at? She in here. I told my students, I said, if I see you sleeping, I'm gonna throw a bottle. I'm accurate. Alright? Christ-centered people. Are to be found faithful. Now, now, now you're talking, Jay. You said Christ-centered people, and you're only mentioning leaders. What are you talking about? People. These are just a few of the people of God. We'll get there. I want to just set this foundation for where we're going to get soon. Okay, so just track along with me. So to be faithful, leaders are servants first. They are stewards of instruction, and that is their job. Follow me? They are faithful to the text. They're faithful to Christ and His authority. And they don't consider themselves higher than they really are. Now what does it mean to be found faithful? This is where I would call uh, a place where the rubber hits the road. To be found faithful. Y'all know the definition of found. I won't bore you. But it literally means to perceive or, or to know unexpectedly. You follow me? To perceive or know unexpectedly. You found something. You walked up on something. I found X, Y, Z. Right? Wasn't intended to look for it, but I found it. Right? In this text, it would be as if I stumbled upon. 
And so what he says is leaders are not just to be servants and managers of the instruction, but they are to be found faithful. In other words, if you were to stumble in on a regular day of my life, my job would be to be found. You would stumble upon faithfulness in my life. You follow me so far? Am I losing you? Okay. Found faithful. If you were to peep into the window that is my life, any given day, at any given hour, the hope would be that you would find me in faith. Alright? So that's the charge of leaders. Those are big shoes to fill. Now let me, let me take this moment to uh, plug our pastors really quick. They didn't ask me to do this. I promise I'm not being paid. We, we serve with some amazing staff. We do. We serve with some amazing staff. And, and I would venture to say from the experience that I have with them that if I stumbled in upon their lives the majority of the time, I would find them to be faithful. Right? Brother Kyle is one of the best pastors I've ever served with. Love Kyle, miss you. Brother Mark, I love Mark and his heart for, for worship. He leads from his heart. He's faithful. I do my best. I serve with some women who serve in our kids area and in our finances that are faithful to do the things that they are called to do. But here's what we know about all people. All people are not always faithful. Follow me? So here's what I'm not saying. Okay? And here's what I don't think the text says. That ministers are required to be perfect to be useful. I want to be careful to say that. They don't have to be perfect to be useful. God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So if anything, Brother Mark, we're fools. I will just admit that we are fools used by God so that He gets glory and not us. Brother Kyle, you're a fool too. I love that. I just want to be clear though. Because I don't want to walk away from this place saying, okay, I'm watching my pastor from now on. And if he slips up, huh, no, no, right? I don't want that. But what I do want you to, to, to remember is that we are charged as leaders to be found faithful. To strive for faithfulness that if someone were to look upon my life at any day, they would find faith and then therefore imitate my faith. We'll get there soon. Found faithful. Christ-centered people are found faithful. The second point we see in verse 16 through 13 is we see that Christ-centered people are biblically humble. Biblically humble. I'll define this for you, but I want to point back to see that Paul wanted the Corinthians to learn a phrase, nothing beyond what is written. Nothing beyond what is written. This text is where we get the doctrine of sola scriptura. Scripture alone as our authority. Okay? So, so Christ-centered people, Christ-centered churches are led by servants who are lowly servants that manage the instruction of God and do not hold authority outside of what is written. Follow what I'm saying. Here, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Okay? Job as a, as a pastor preacher is to teach you the text and what it says without my opinion. There is no book of second opinions in the canon. Alright? My job is to teach the scripture 
as it says, as it speaks, without my opinion. Adding nothing to, taking nothing away. Nothing beyond what is written. Christ-centered churches are led by servant leaders who are charged to give instruction from what is written and nothing beyond. Are we good there? That's the biblically part of biblically humble. Now, humble. Humble means to be low, selfless, others first. We find in Paul's charge, he wanted the Corinthians to learn the phrase, nothing more than what is written. Why? So that you would not be arrogant, favoring one person over another. So what's the purpose of, of a leader teaching the instruction of God, teaching the, the written Word of God? Is It is so that we would not be arrogant. Now can I be honest with you? Is that okay? Look, look I'll even step out from behind there. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I'm sometimes arrogant. Y'all don't say a word. Y'all are thinking it. Yep. Sometimes I'm arrogant. I know. <laughs> she said, you're not alone. I know. Listen, we live in an arrogant society. Among arrogant people, I, sometimes I feel like Isaiah in chapter 6. Woe is me, God, because I'm an arrogant man among an arrogant people. Right? Some of y'all know that I changed the word there. We are. We're arrogant at times. And this points back to points back to what Paul was talking about with leaders being servants and managers of the instruction of God only because of the problem we referenced before. People are dividing themselves in the Corinthian church based upon what preacher they like. Does that sound familiar? People inside the same congregations are dividing themselves based upon what they like and don't like. Does that sound familiar? Again, these are Paul's words, not mine. Don't hate me. I love you. We have a tendency to do that too. If we're just going to be right down dirty and honest. The church abroad and the church local here, we have a problem with pride and self-centeredness. It is our sin nature. So, so I wanted to say that as a side note. Because when you have leaders that will stand up here and preach to you the Word and it doesn't feel so good, remember, it's words, not mine. And it's because we don't want to be arrogant and favor one person over another. We want to be Christ-centered. You follow me? So what does it mean to be humble? We're not arrogant. Paul explains in these verses, he says, what makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? In other words, what do you have? What characteristic do you, do you aspire to? Do you claim that wasn't given to you? And if it was given to you, why do you boast as if it was not? Here's what he's talking about. You didn't make you, even if you're awesome. And there's a lot of people in this room I would say are awesome. Are awesome people. I love y'all. But even you didn't make you. And part of what makes you awesome is you know you didn't make you. God made you. And there's nothing about you that God didn't have a part in. So there's nothing for me to boast about. You follow me? 
Now here's, we'll all amen that. We will. And it sounds good and it feels good, but here's what happens. When we become arrogant and we decide to separate ourselves over issues that are not important in the long run, over carpet color or music style or pastor's dress or whatever, or, or even good things, like I want to do this ministry and not this one. When we decide to separate ourselves over those things and favor one leader over another and cause division, what we are absolutely saying is I am better than you because I'm better. You follow me? We are making a claim about ourselves, puffing ourselves up, lifting us our, ourselves up into authority, saying I know better than you do because I'm smarter than you, I'm better than you, and God knows it. That's arrogance. You follow me? The Christ-centered church and the Christ-centered people runs from that. Because the truth of it is, the Gospel tells us that God loved the world who was sinful and wretched and dirty. Even if we were righteous, our righteousness compared to His is filthy garbage. And that He sent His Son to die for us because we could not do it ourselves. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that should be taught and preached and followed in a Christ-centered church. And so if we are going to be a people that claims the gospel in everyday life, we need to be humble, especially to each other. There's a statement that Jesus made that absolutely wrecks my heart every time I think about it. And he told his disciples, you will be known by your love for each other. You will be known as my disciples based upon your love for each other. He did not say you will be known by your love for the poor. He did not say you will be known by your love for the lost. He did not say you will be known as my disciples for your love for the church, though we ought to love those. He said you will be known as mine based on your love for your brother and your sister. That's harsh. That's true. And the sad reality is, I was talking to some students this morning, church people are sometimes the meanest people on the planet. And you wonder why people don't want to walk in these doors and sit in a service. Lord, God give us hope in business meetings. And watch what happens and we wonder why they don't stay. You follow what I'm saying? If we're going to be Christ-centered, if we're going to be Christ-centered, self has to be kicked to the side. You follow me? It is no longer about, man, I'm going to get me fired up. I'm telling you. Dylan sat, sat up in front of us this morning and said, I have resolved that Jesus is worth it, that He died for my sins, and that I am now no longer the same one who was dumped under the water. I am a new person in Christ Jesus. And we will claim this and then live the opposite. Follow me. I'm burdened because I'm the same boat as you. That's why I keep saying we and us. I've got people here who know me on a daily basis. They know I'm not perfect. 
But if I'm going to be one to proclaim gospel, gospel needs to transform me from the inside. You follow so far? Biblically humble and found faithful. All right. These two qualifications for a Christ-centered church and a Christ-centered people cause some questions. All right, Jake, since you're so smart, if we had this problem, how do we fix it? Jesus tells us. Look at verse 14 through 20. I don't know if your Bible has headings in it or not, but mine has a title there. This is Paul's fatherly care. And in the next, the rest of the chapter from 14 to 20, he talks about intimate discipleship. Intimate discipleship. And he uses a picture to show us what it is. Let me read it again. I write this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, for you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. He uses the picture of a father and child to teach us intimate discipleship. Father and child, intimate discipleship. He says you've got many instructors. Many people will be able to teach you what the Word says, but few will be able to be a father to you for a second. Intimate discipleship. What does that look like? Well, why don't we use the term father and child? I have a, a, a three-year-old son. And I love getting to watch him do things that daddy does. When he grabs a tool, or when he puts on his boots and says, I'm just like daddy. Or, or whatever the case may be. Or when he, he gets upset, like daddy sometimes gets upset, and he pitches his fit, right? Anything he does, he emulates me. He imitates me. What he sees me do, Jackson does. Alright? And so we talk about all the time, i got to be careful. i got to be careful. Because if I slip... And he sees, monkey see, monkey do. Right? And when he goes out, it will be embarrassing to see him do it. Right? So I have to try to be careful in the sense that my son looks to me to know how to be a man. And that is no small weight. And there's fathers in here that knows that weight. It is no different in the relationship between a father and and child in discipleship. Through discipleship and doing life together, we create faithful, humble Christians who go in turn and make faithful, humble Christians who in turn go and create faithful, humble Christians. You follow what I'm saying? This is the goal. The Great Commission is this. Go into all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples and know that I am with you until the end of the age. Disciple-making disciples happens through intimate worship. He gives this, this comparison instructors and fathers. Instructors in this sense would be a guardian or a tutor or even that slave that we talked about who was tasked to teach things to the children of a family. A father is an intimate relationship with those who are learning. He imparts life. He is a nurture, nurture 
and protector, and he would be the one in this, this context that would have given the original instruction. In other words, hey, I came and brought the gospel to you, and I claimed you as my children because I want to give you the gospel, right? Discipleship is an intimate relationship between a father and a child in which the child watches and learns from the father and then imitates them. They do life together. They talk about humility and what is written together. Now, this is especially important to me because I serve teenagers who imitate you. I serve teenagers who imitate you. I serve teenagers who imitate me. I serve teenagers who imitate Kyle, just like my son would imitate me. So let me let me plug this. Okay, I'm over here again. This is this is absolutely for free. I'm not charging for this at all. This at all. If we want to see young children and teenagers grow to be faithful church members. We've got to be faithful church members. If we want our students, children, grandchildren, whoever, to be faithful and humble and disciples, we better be faithful, humble, and disciples. You follow what I'm saying? This is not just a charge to the leaders of the church because Paul tells the, the folks that he's talking to, imitate me. Do as I do. Do as I'm teaching you to do. Paul has committed himself to live faithfully and humbly. He even talks about how he's been persecuted and hungry and homeless for the sake of the gospel. He's willing to do it. He's calling for them to do the same. And I'm charging you as a humble youth pastor, we better be faithful and humble if we ever want to see the church of tomorrow be gospel-centered. Because right now, the church of tomorrow is headed to left field. The church of tomorrow is headed towards closure. You follow what I'm saying? How will they believe if, if no one preaches to them? And how will anybody preach if they're not sent? Right? we got to sin. But in order to sin, we better be the example we ask them to be. Follow me? Second part of discipleship, intimate discipleship comes with honest accountability. Honest accountability. Paul, at the end of, the, of this chapter, has vowed that he's coming to check on the church. Verse 18, he says, Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not just the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. As a father to the children he's speaking of, he tells them plainly, you imitate me and I'm watching you to see if you're talk or if you're walk. You know that phrase? Don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Well, I've added a little bit to it. You ready for this? I'll try to say it without uh, fumbling. Don't, don't just talk the talk. And also don't just walk the walk. But you got to walk the talk and you got to talk the walk. <laughs> I'll try to say it again and I'll say it slow don't just talk the talk and don't just walk the walk but talk the walk walk the talk 
right? That's discipleship in, in a uh, Dr. Seuss riddle. <laughs> Accountability. I want to, as a father to spiritual children, to be able to talk the talk and let them hear it, to walk the walk and let them see it, but not just stop there to grab their hand and walk with me and then talk them through the walk I'm walking and walk through the talk I'm talking. Man, I'm getting good at this. I'm seriously. There's accountability that comes with intimate discipleship. And it doesn't just stop with, hey, I'm watching. Paul says in verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. So what do you want? Should I come with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Basically, this is our call to, to response here. Paul says, I've laid it out for you. This is where I'm rebuking you in ways of sarcasm and question, in, in ways of, of just being open and raw with you and saying, hey, we are not being humble. We're not being faithful. Paul says, here's your response. You can either get the rod of correction. So when I come to you, I will find out who's talking the talk and I will correct that talk or I will come a spirit of love and gentleness to those of us that will repent of our arrogance and our lack of faith. Church, I would ask as Mark and the band is ready to come and sing, we sit somewhere on this spectrum of humility and faith. As an individual and as a church as a whole, we sit somewhere on the spectrum of humility and faith. I would ask you, have you been arrogant, favoring one over another based on personal preference rather than doctrine? If so, repent. Have you been found faithful? In other words, have you been faithful to the point of someone to look in the window of your life, they would look in and see faith rather than selfishness and pride. If not, repent. Have you been humble and biblically humble, holding to nothing beyond what is written to the point of understanding perspective? It's not about me, it's about them. And it's not about me, it's about Him. If not, repent. And here's where most of us will need to repent, myself included. Are we intimately discipling children in the faith? And do I have someone I am walking alongside of to talk the walk and walk the talk? If not, repent and start. If we are going to be a Christ-centered church full of Christ-centered people, we must be found faithful, Biblically humble and intimately discipling children. I'm going to pray. They're going to sing. I realize that this may not apply to everybody in this room. There may be some in here who don't know Jesus. Man, I'm telling you what. Jesus has changed my life and so many others. He's changed the lives of the disciples. He literally changed 12 men's life and it turned the world upside down. He's worth it. He's amazing. He's powerful. He's a healer. He's all of the things you've ever heard. And I can guarantee it. He's never been unfaithful. And if you'd like to meet him, I'd love to introduce you to him. I'll be sitting down in the front row right here. I'd love for you to come and talk to him. But here's what I ask. Move when God calls you to move.
Don't sit in your seat. Don't clench with white knuckles. I'm telling you, it's not worth it. You can make an altar out of your seat, but whatever you'd like to do. But if God tells you to move, I ask you to move. Fair enough? All right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for Paul's words. Though they can be painful, though they can be harsh, they are absolutely true. There's something about this spirit that you put inside of us that convicts us that we can't hide from. And so, God, I'm asking for my own behalf and for the behalf of the people here, I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would move us in the direction you need us to move, that you would heal us where we need healing, that you would introduce yourself to someone this morning that doesn't know you. And I pray that you be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.